Chapter Four of the Brownies and Prince Florimel by Palmer Cox. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jude Summers. The human octopus starts upon a mission. Across the minor sea, whose blue sparkling waters kissed the fair shores of Queen Titania's fairy kingdom, about a hundred leagues as flies the crow, there was another country where lived the notorious enchanter Dragonfell. A fairy messenger on a winged steed had conveyed information that Dragonfell intended to make trouble. But this was nothing new for Dragonfell. As a matter of fact, he was always trying to make trouble for everybody. Trouble was his specialty. Dragonfell was not a nice man, and, if you had known him, you would not have liked him. He cheated when he played croquet, and he was always claiming wickets that he never made. He did not go to Sunday school, either. If he had gone, he would not have put a penny in the plate for the heathen. That was the kind of man he was. Yet he was the possessor of fabulous riches, and he never would have missed what he might have given away had he been charitably inclined, which he was not in the least. No one else in the whole world was as wealthy as he. He owned a combination mine, in which were diamonds, rubies, sapphires, emeralds, and other precious gems galore, some of them as big as cobblestones. It may be said with safety that Dragonfell was inclined to have his own way, and carry out his own ideas. He was very rich, and had money to burn. When in the mood of celebrating some great event, such as the burial of good intentions, or the failure in Eden, instead of climbing on some rock to set off firecrackers, burn Roman candles, or discharge toy cannon, he delighted in burning bank bonds, legal tenders, or government securities of large denominations, until the ashes of them were declared a nuisance by his board of health, and with reluctance he would discontinue his celebration. As is usual in all such operations, there were panics at times, through alarms of fire, explosions, or escaping gas, when everybody tried to get out at once, but few could escape. One day it would be the danger of being smothered, the next of being roasted, the third of a cave-in where all would be buried alive, and so from hour to hour fear was in the way. There were mine-sprites whom he kept steadily at work, without regard for union hours, digging the gems out with their fingers. The poor mine-sprites were greatly overworked, and not the least regard was paid to life or limb. The hours were long, as they struggled at the wheelbarrows or mine-carts, either pushing or pulling, with their unreasonable loads piled high in the air, and with gems that in the market would have brought enough to pay the debt of a principality, slipping off and rolling in the dust. The palace of Dragonfell was a sight, and it would have made your eyes blink to see it. It was constructed entirely of diamonds, rubies, and emeralds, all stuck together with cement. There were no opals, because Dragonfell thought they were unlucky. If you could have pried off any one of them, you would have had enough to keep you in the greatest luxury all your life. The famous Koenor was but a grain of sand compared to any of them. 
Back of the palace, and casting a frowning shadow over it, was a single towering mountain whose top was an extinct volcano. No one could recall the exact date of its last eruption, for Dragonfell stubbornly insisted upon running his business without an almanac. There were those, scientifically inclined, who leaned to the theory that the volcano had been the cause of all the gems in Dragonfell's mine. Though it must have been a very long time since the volcano had celebrated with homemade fireworks, the enchanter had always anticipated a further display. So he had taken the precaution to buy an old-fashioned fire engine, which was installed conveniently at hand, in a building over whose doors was the caption, Neptune Hook and Ladder Company, Number One. In the building were plenty of rubber coats, boots, and red helmets. Everything was ready for an emergency. There were some who declared that Dragonfell had some business connection with Beelzebub, but whether this was true or not, he had the bad taste to get himself up after the authentic portraits of that disreputable person. He was very tall, indeed, with an almost scarlet countenance, and he wore a long, flowing cloak that was a perfect match for his complexion. He kept his hair rather long, and brushed it stiffly up to convey the impression that he had a natural horn. He boasted a host of followers, all big, hulking, blackguards of giant-like stature, with repulsive names such as Bounding Boar, Mandrake, Wolf Finger, Grouthead, Snout Pimple, and the like, and whenever they did something mean, he rewarded them. The consequence was that they were trying to do mean things all the time. They were in charge of the mine, and the way they treated the poor mine sprites was awful. It was a good thing for them that the officers of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children were unable to get around. So, on a certain day, following his usual custom, Dragonfell was making an inspection of the mine. He had descended through a secret passage, and walked about the dark chambers, lit here and there by gloomy flares of light. Guarded by the enchanter's cruel followers, the mine sprites, poor little emaciated witch-like creatures in tattered clothes, were digging away with their raw, bruised fingers at the sides of earth, and exhuming precious stones. They were not allowed to use picks, for that would have made the work easy. Diamonds, rubies, pearls, amethysts, emeralds, and other gems, every one of them worth a king's ransom, lay piled about carelessly in heaps. The opals, when they were discovered, were thrown away. Sprites kept staggering off with heavy loads in wheelbarrows. Dragonfell surveyed the work with great satisfaction, and asked Groathead, who was in general charge, "'When were they fed last?' Three days ago, kind master.' Everyone called him kind master, though whether this was in sarcasm or not, no one knew. "'See that they don't get anything to eat before the full week is up,' ordered Dragonfell. "'And that reminds me of my own dinner. Bounding boar, tell the cook I want turtle soup, spiced venison pastries, apple dumplings, strawberry shortcake, 
and iced lemonade with plenty of crushed raspberries in it. The mouths of the poor little mind sprites watered, and they smacked their lips. But Grouthead snapped his long snake whip so that it was sounded like a pistol shot, and they frantically continued digging away in the earth with their fingers. Bounding Boar flew to do Dragonfell's bidding, and Snout Pimple observed rather timidly, the air down here is very bad, kind master. That's good, said Dragonfell, with hearty unction. It might make me ill if I were obliged to remain. So, as I have a proper regard for my health, I think I will get out into the open. Attended by Mandrake, Snout Pimple, Wolfinger, and some of the rest, he went on his way, while Grouthead snapped his whip to incite the frightened gasping, exhausted mind-sprites to further effort. When he came up out of the shaft, Dragonfell gave a deep breath of relief as his nostrils sucked in the bracing air that had a salt tang of the sea in it. Out in the harbor there tossed a galleon on the lazy swell, a craft built low amidship, and with both bow and stern curving high into the air. Dragonfell gazed off at it with interest and remarked, it may come in handy soon if these brownies and fairies continue longer. They are getting altogether too good and must be stopped. But let us go back to the palace to see if anything has happened in our absence. Nothing else was to be seen on the wide water to draw his attention, except some mermaids who were above the waves engaging in combing their hair, who, to most people, are very interesting. A little bird with very acute hearing listened intently to his words as it lightly balanced on the twig of a gumdrop tree, and then flew straight across the sea to tell a fairy, who told the other fairies. Dragonfell, with his big, clumsy, lumbering cohorts, strode on to the palace that was guarded by a demon usher, a queer, comical-looking chap who with his wings much resembled a human grasshopper who half flew, half walked. He had thin little wisps of hair sticking out from each side of his nose, like the scanty whiskers of a cat. The demon usher, with hops and jumps, escorted him to a magnificent throne, and groveled with smirks before him, while Dragonfell, with what he thought to be the quintessence of grace, sank upon it, and then arranged himself in what he imagined was a kingly posture. Well, he gruffly said. Has anyone been here since I've been gone? No, kind master, the demon usher hastened to assure him. No one has been here since the band, and you remember them. Oh, uh, that band, repeated Dragonfell with a shudder. I can't get their notes out of my ears yet. But what have we here? A huge creature resembling an octopus with great staring eyes popping out from his head, and hundreds of fuzzy tentacles protruding in all directions from his grotesque body, came crawling toward him. Straightway Dragonfell sprang up from the throne, while Wolfinger, Mandrake, Boundingbore, and Snout Pimple, who had assumed respectful positions at his sides, drew back in alarm. But the demon usher gave a cackle of a laugh, and gleefully rubbed his hands together, as though he were washing them with invisible soap. "'Have no fear, kind master,' 
said a thin, piping voice from somewhere within the horrid creature's hulk. "'Is not this a pretty disguise?' "'The red spirit as I live!' cried Dragonfell, in a tone of admiration not unmixed with relief. "'You rascal! Why have you chosen this masquerade?' "'But is it not a clever one?' persisted the red spirit. "'See, kind master, I can either compress or expand myself at will.' As he spoke, he shrank to practical insignificance, and then almost immediately afterward swelled out until it seemed that he would burst. "'Capital!' said Dragonfell encouragingly. "'You can be of great assistance to me. I have a mean task for you to do.' "'The meaner the better, kind master.' Dragonfell raised his arm and pointed to a window that gave a vista of the far-off smiling sea. "'Go, human octopus,' he commanded, "'and spy upon the brownies and fairies.' Without another word, the hideous object started to crawl off by means of his myriad tentacles, and all who were present watched his convulsive, eccentric movements with malicious satisfaction. End of chapter 4